Managing Marketing, our weekly podcast where we discuss the issues and opportunities facing marketing, media and advertising with industry thought leaders and practitioners. And today I'm sitting down with Anathea Rice, CEO of UM, and much respected in the industry. And I think it's fair to say an extremely well-traveled, in fact, I should probably say globetrotting professional. So welcome, Anathea, and thanks very much for joining me. Thank you, globetrotter. I love that one. Well, you are a globetrotter. That's a good segue. Let's start with your professional travels. I mean, a little bit like me, but I think probably on a more successful scale, frankly. you've, As well as Australia, I think you've had stints in various markets, and most recently you've returned after, I think, a four-year, correct me if I'm wrong, but a four-year stint uh, with Dentsu in the US. So I'm intrigued by that. What did you find when you returned to Australia, and how has international experience or learning shaped your approach to your current role? Yeah, it's. Uh, I think international experience has been incredible, and I, to be honest, I moved between Australia and New Zealand back and forth. I st- I didn't start in uh, this side of the industry. I was a women's magazine editor. I was the editor for New Idea magazine in New Zealand as well as Australia, and then I became a group publisher back and forth between New Zealand and Australia. So obviously. That's international to a degree, but um, quite similar countries. And it wasn't until, uh, it was probably about eight and a half years ago now, I moved to Singapore to take up an Asia-Pacific role, which, of course, you have great uh, familiarity with as well. We've done the same thing. And and that was a fantastic opportunity. And um, it's funny, you you talk about what experience on your professional life does moving have and uh, moving internationally and working internationally have. And I think that professional and personal is so intertwined in in, in this instance as, as I do with many, many um, situations. And so for me it was a great learning experience. I, um, I, I worked across a number of uh, countries in Asia and, and the fascinating thing about the, the market that we were working in is that you had some of the wealthiest and oldest countries like Australia and some of the youngest and most developing countries like Indonesia. Uh, In Indonesia, I think at the time, 50% of the population was under the age of 30 and and habits and behaviours really reflected the the, the makeup of the population. And then, of course, you had really culturally diverse and interesting places. And, And one of the things that I think our industry can can always do better is is to actually if if you're going into those markets and those environments is getting a much better understanding in advance of of cultural norms cultural um not so much etiquette but just requirements how how business is done i i i didn't have that so i felt it was very much a explore as you go along and do your own research and your own learning but i think that um it's a great opportunity for, for, for people when they do go into those environments to to really do the research in advance and and um, and understand rather than just learning as you go along, maybe maybe do a bit more of that in advance. Uh, but fascinating, fascinating learnings and experiences there. And then I moved to America uh, on the 20th of December 2016. So obviously relatively polarising times uh, for, for the United of States. Course. And then we were there for four and a half years, uh, obviously including a year or so of, of COVID times. Uh, I, I found America to be a, a fascinating, fascinating environment in which to work. 
everything was very big. There were lots of uh, lots of zeros on um, on budgets, and, uh, and and that brings with it certain freedoms and opportunities, but it also brings with it certain limitations. And one of the big limitations was when the budgets are so big that you end up just having a large group of people buying one particular channel, for example, and maybe not interacting as much with with the rest of the the media mix, it it can be a real challenge. Mm. And then if you look on the client side, we would often have clients who looked after media and didn't have a lot of interaction with the the folks looking after the creative side. So, So I think that sometimes the very bigness, while it does bring great opportunity, it can it, it can feel a little bit more constraining or a little bit more like it puts you in, in a silo. Um, so, so really, and I don't feel that in Australia. In Australia, I feel mm. that because of our scale and size here, we're, we're much more able to work in a really collaborative way, whether it's with our creative agency partners or whether it's across a broad, broad spectrum of... Um, of clients inside the organisations that we partner with, and that to me is incredibly exciting. I don't think it's a it's an accident that when you're in markets like the US, they're always really excited to have Australian talent working um, in the agencies because that that sense of flexibility, that sense of agility, that sense mm. of having been trained and exposed across a broader spectrum of of, of thinking and execution is always really welcome. How did you find it politically? I mean, I, I and I'm not talking about Donald Trump, by the way. <laughs> I'm yeah. talking about the right. Um, I mean, okay. I, I, firstly, the on in Asia pack, I to- I completely agree, and I wish I. It was the same for me, you know. An expl- it was an exploration. I didn't have time, and I should have really found the time mm. to educate myself more. The complexities of markets mm-hmm. like India and China, just unbelievable mm. from just from a media point of view, if nothing else. Yes. Um, large swathes of the population not owning mobile phones and you know all, all of this kind of stuff that you you, you just take for granted mm. in other markets just not there um and yeah in the u.s huge huge numbers as you say um lots and lots and lots of people mm. how do how do you navigate all of that how did you navigate all of that <laughs> all of that sort of all of that minefield of sort of different people doing different things different cultures doing mm. doing things in different ways mm. I, it's interesting. I think it, it it really did evolve over the over the experience of of working in those different markets. Uh, I, I think I went into Asia with a view of um, a, a quite a naive view of well, this is me, this is who I am, and you know I get on well with people. I'm sure every you know I'm sure it'll be the same here, and to a large degree it really was. I mean I. I had incredibly collaborative um, relationships with people across the spectrum. And I think when you're in a regional role, you need to very, very uh, specifically and clearly add value um, to the markets that you're going into. Um, Because we all know what it's like when someone comes in and they don't know your clients and they don't know your people and they don't know your challenges. Uh, So how can you go into those markets and, and provide something that that the, the both the local teams and the local clients really really value and appreciate and I I wouldn't presume to speak for all of the markets that I worked with but I did a lot of internal and external training I did a lot of sort of pieces around I, w- I worked in the content space then around how content was changing how content could be used in different organisations so hopefully that was um, that was valuable and I, I think that that sense of 
collaboration and a genuine desire to work in the way that was going to be most meaningful for for those leaders uh, and teams uh, worked for me. Um, And then in the States, again, I think uh, constantly pushing for collaboration. Collaboration is is such an easy word to use and it's a word I use a lot, but it's when it's just a word, it's absolutely useless. It's something that needs to be exercised and utilised and fought for and um, reiterated on a daily, multiple times a day basis. So you have to in order to be a collaborative person, you have to genuinely be a collaborative person at all times. And so that meant doing my best to put myself out to support other people in things that they were trying to achieve and um, and, and you know, managing lots of, lots of different needs from lots of different stakeholders across the group. I, I worked... Um, for an agency, but on the on the west coast, which is where I was, I was running Cara, but I was also responsible for the integration across our west coast office there in in um, Culver City in in the county of Los Angeles, and uh, and and that was great. That was incredible with about ten different agency groups in there. But again, constant collaboration. It's interesting though. You talk about you said how did you cope with the political side, and you said not the Donald Trump side. Yeah. Um, it actually, that was a, from my perspective, that was an incredible, um, the political side of America afforded me an incredible learning experience, particularly over that last year and, and uh, around the time of, of George Floyd's murder and the, uh, what, that, what that brought up across the country as a whole, but also in our own industry and where we as an industry were, uh, were, were lacking in genuine diversity and were lacking in creating a genuinely safe environment for people to work in. And I, uh, again, I'll, I'll use that word from the beginning, naivety. I think I went in with a naivety that I was a broad-minded, open, uh, non-discriminatory person and and yet what I found was that I was moving through my working environment, let alone my personal environment, in the in the privileged, uh, you know, in, in a very privileged way, without necessarily being as aware as I could be and and want to be about the challenges that other folks that I'm working with were facing. So, for me, that last year in particular, and the and the grace with which colleagues spoke up and shared their stories and um, spoke about what a um, what a what a meaningful work environment would would really really look like mm. it was an incredible gift we had a team of people uh in my office actually who developed something called um difficult dialogues made easier which was uh, as it sounds a, a dialogue series where where we really did learn about each other and the and the um the biases we bring to everyday life and and I, what i really hope is that that time has taught me to think much more broadly and that I have brought that back into my current role and I will use that in any roles that I have in the future and in any way, any teams that I work with. So uh, so it was a real privilege, a, a really interesting and challenging time to to be there. Yeah, I think that's, I mean, clearly that's going to be hugely valuable to anyone who wants to learn. Um, a lot of the discussions on this podcast that I've been having have naturally gravi- gravitated to diversity and inclusion particularly. Um, what do you think 
how, how do you see Australia in that? I mean, having come back, you've just talked about your experience mm-hmm. and powerful experience in, in America. Um, where's Australia at? I mean, how, how well attuned is this market to true inclusivity and I think, true diversity? Um, I think that we are all working really hard to achieve diversity uh, and inclusion and they're such again pat terms to to trot out there what it really means is are we creating an environment that is welcoming and open that's one side of it then are we creating policies quotas um guardrails guidelines things that we can keep coming back to and and making sure that we are progressing because I think that um, you need you need those hard measures as well as the the, the, the sort of the softer the, the what's the environment like what are the what are the behaviors like what are the la- what are the what's the language we use how do we correct each other how do we how do we work with each other but without those guardrails without those measurement, forums then then I think it is just words and, oh. and it is performative um <clears throat> I, I think yeah you know execution is nine tenths of the law right? <laughs> and it's going to take it's going to take some time but, I mean you know what, what do you think of this there's obviously um the MFA is doing a lot of work in yeah, this area and great work you know they, they, they've done some great work so I think personally I think the the, the, the sort of the foundations are in place to mm-hmm. build the house and mm-hmm. I think it's it's down to you. It's down yeah. to people like yourself yeah. who are leading yeah. uh, this industry to, to lead by example and, 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 and follow through and execute these And execute, these exactly, follow through. Um, I'm also part of an organisation that uh, is um, part of UN Women called Unstereotype Alliance, mm-hmm. um, set up globally a few years ago. The Australian chapter has just launched or launched at the uh, beginning of the year and that brings together agency folks and IPG is a is a um, global and local um, champion uh, it brings together folks from across the the agency spectrum but also across the um, marketing side client side as well and uh, these are great conversations to have and really critically we are putting in place like how are we going to measure ourselves this yeah. year and and next year and beyond uh, because and I'm I, I'm part of a pillar there that's around data and measurement, and and that's so important, especially in in our industry. But we need to do so much more in terms of of representation in content and on screen. But also, the only way that that happens is that you have representation behind screen. You have representation across the entire. Uh, entire process of developing whatever that content is, okay. but that you have representation when you are determining where to place that content and how to engage with people with that, and that's the media side. And Mm. as we have more and more data, we need to be more and more thoughtful and more and more human about how we use that. But that's not... I have a a view of a white, heterosexual, cisgendered woman that that is vastly different. My, My lived experience can never be broadly reflective. So we need that broad reflection sitting inside our organisation. And it makes the conversation over a coffee or a sandwich significantly broader and more interesting as well. Yes. It's it's exploded outwards in such a good way. You know, 10 years ago, Mm -hmm. 
we'd be saying similar things, but it was much more about, oh, well, you know, the people who work in advertising agencies all... They're, they're a bit affluent and so they don't represent the entirety of the populace. There was nothing about female representation. There was nothing about racial diversity. There was nothing about gender diversity. There was nothing about any LBGTQI. Mm. I mean, there was nothing about really no serious conversation mm. um, from an industry point of view. Yeah. So, I mean, it's amazing how much this has escalated. Mm. Mm. And, um but like I say, obviously, ex- yeah. it's great. Yeah. Ex- executing it, we're talking about it. Yes. We're talking. Let's talk, talk, yes. talk. But the more, do, do, the do. more we can execute is, uh, is, is you know, I, I think it's amazing, and I think um, people are becoming much more aware now. And so, end results and content, ultimately, brands are going to be much more invested. You know, I know it sounds heartless, but purely commercially, mm. if nothing else, if you're going to be mm. making content mm. that is um, has a tin ear, so mm. to speak. Mm. Um, uh, that, that, that your customers, your consumers are going to be turned off by Oh, it. absolutely. Um, so there is an absolute commercial, as well as doing the right thing, there is now a commercial imperative, mm. very much so. There was a, uh, a, a piece <clears throat> of content that was put out recently um, and the memes that went around with it that I, I was following were saying things like, tell me you don't have a woman on your team without telling me you don't have a woman on your team, you know, <laughs> yes. because the, you looked at this piece of content and you went, whoa, that, that uh, a woman on that team or someone who who uh, identified with the vulnerability um, that, that was re- represented in this in this piece of content would not have would not have supported it. Someone would have, if they felt that they were in a safe environment where they could mm. voice their thoughts, they would have said, "Hey, no, that does not reflect the world in any way, shape, or form." So, yep, it's critical. Well, let's talk. Let's change gear a little bit and talk about. Well, actually, we, we're sort of sinking into it. Um, let's talk about UM um, mm-hmm. a little bit. You've 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 taken the helm. You're back in, as a local market leader, mm-hmm. and I'm inter- I'll be interested to know how you then re- sort of work with your regional counterparts because mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, it's the other end of the telescope. Yes. Um, and obviously, UM's a, a, a well-established presence in this market, and um, there's a lot of respect behind the brand, I think. But there's always more to do. You know, what's what's your vision? What what and and as well as what we've just been talking mm-hmm. about, what are the red buttons that mm-hmm. you're pressing right mm-hmm. now? So. It, it, Fantastic organisation. Such, you know, even obviously before I started, I knew UM by its incredible strong reputation, uh, particularly here in Australia. I was I was obviously very familiar with them before I I, I moved overseas, and coming back into the organisation, I've just been blown away by the the. The spirit of high performance, it's interesting, I, I've spoken about this to a few people internally. When I came into UM, um, the teams would talk a lot about being a high-performing team. And my natural reaction to that, just the, the language to it, was it, it sounded very uh, at all costs. But I came very quickly to realise, talking to the teams and seeing the work they did and the way they interacted with with each other was that this was high performance in the purest sense of the word, high performance in I have a great deal of pride in my knowledge, my expertise, my ability to do this and and I want that to be represented so I will work really hard to make sure that I I represent my work in, in the best way possible and I want those around me to feel the the joy of that pride as well so I will uplift others. So it's actually been... Um, it's been a great year. It's been a year. I cannot believe it's been over a, just over a year. Oh, I know it's terrifying, um, <laughs> and and that's been fantastic. I, I think that as we, there are a few things that are, 
are critical to me and I, I, I spoke about them when I first joined the organisation I'm still speaking about them now. The first is we need to manage workloads with our teams. Workloads are, uh, are huge and, and I believe in part that's because we all dealt with the, the beginning of COVID um, when, when we had that incredible adrenaline rush. No one knew what was happening. We, 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 we really didn't have a clue. Clients didn't have a clue. We didn't have a clue. So we were needing to work together to, to change things and pivot on an absolute, I was going to say a dime, five cent piece. <laughs> Um, and you can do that when you're in a high adrenaline situation, but you can't stay in high adrenaline for a long time. And I don't think we did a very good job of resetting. Okay. So now we're through this time of crisis. What, what does life look like? What does our partnership look like moving forward? So people's workloads, uh, and, and, uh, it's the topic that we're all talking about, obviously staffing, um, movements and and open roles and um, stuff from coming from other markets is has been really really challenged over the last couple of years so that's that's caused a lot of problems so we need to be thinking about are we critically sure that we've got the right people in the right roles are we are we uh, are we taking a very long hard look at our process and saying this feels like it this part of the process would benefit from someone with these types of skills which will free up uh, these people to focus on on this type of thinking mm-hmm. we need to think about what automation can can do and how we can take away the types of repetitive um action tasks that that don't need to be necessarily done by people so workloads is a is a huge area of focus and the second is we need to support people in understanding and um, understanding their stress loads stress loads are of course linked to workloads but it's not the only thing and and if if we've learned nothing else over the last two years other than we need to understand that every person has their own challenges and stresses and um things that they need to balance between what they do inside the the work environment and outside the work environment. I, I think that parenting has always been something that we've sort of understood and that was a bit of a, oh, we know those people are parents, therefore they'll have different stresses. But we've learned that people have all sorts of stresses, whether it's it's caring for elderly parents or, or a child that's going through a, HSC or the last year of, of school, or it's a they need to, this person might need to do a large amount of exercise because they're training for a marathon or so. People have things in their lives that bring them joy and bring them stress and we as um, employers and as as, as partners in, in their careers, we really need to understand and have empathy and put support barriers around those, those folks. Um, the third thing that I'm really being focused on is we need to, as an industry, make sure that people can see a future career for themselves, preferably in UM. If not in UM, I want people staying in our industry. It really distresses me that we're losing people to go client-side or to go to do something vastly, vastly different because they haven't felt that our industry can deliver them the career growth and the the the, the personal satisfaction that that they need. So that's something that I'm, I'm I feel really really strongly about. And for for us, we're we're having a lot of conversations at the moment around what is the 
what is the strategic dividend, for want of a better phrase, that you as an employee will get out of your relationship with us at UM? And the interesting thing about that, and I think this is critical, is that can change across not just your career, but it can change across a period of, of months or, or a year. So if you if you think about someone who is at the stage of their career where what they're interested in is real growth, real immersion, real learning, they want it all and they want it all now. We, they want to work on the new business pitches. They want to do the courses. They want to network with with partners. They want to um, they, they want to take on all of the different opportunities. Then that's the that's the conversation we need to have with them. How can we support you in in order to do all of this? And then if you think about someone who might be at a different phase of their lives, who's saying, "I still want to do a great job. I still want to work hard and and get." Uh, uh, derive a great sense of pride from being exceptional at my work, but I have pressures in another part of my life at the moment, so I don't want to work on new business. I'm not interested in in heavy training loads. I, I, I can't take the time to uh, do all of the networking events. That's equally as valid, and guess what? Equally as manageable because we've got all of those different people inside the organisation. So what I would say and have been saying to certainly folks at UM is let's have that conversation about what it is you need in your career right now and how can we facilitate that. I, I don't make that jump. Don't, don't make the assumption that media can't give this to me because really we can. It is a very, very flexible business and uh, certainly UM is a very flexible organisation and we can work through that and have those conversations I, over my career, I've had around 10 women, and it's important to determine that, come to me and say, oh, I've been offered this great job or this great promotion or this new opportunity or to lead this project. But you know what? I think I might want to have a family in the next year or so. So I'm not going to take it on because it wouldn't be fair to the client. It wouldn't be fair to the business. It wouldn't be fair to the team. And I've had zero men come and have that same conversation with me. Uh, even though I'm sure men are still having children. Um, but to all of those women, I've always said, take it, take on the opportunity. First of all, you never know what's going to happen uh, when it comes to having children and falling pregnant and all of those sorts of things. But again, organisations can work around that. The beauty of, of pregnancy is that it gives us plenty of time to work through plans and, and uh, alternatives. So I think that we just need to be having more open conversations about what's critical for people at what time in their career. There's so much to unpack there, isn't there? I mean, you basically, you've taken the entirety of the next, like I was going to focus the entire <laughs> topic, your answer just almost covered all of it, which is, which is great. Um, there's lots to unpack there. I think let's start with what you just said. I mean, I'm, this is a point of interest, you know, 10 women, zero men coming to you with, with that kind of, well, I've got family that I, I want to... Do you feel intuitively that that is because there is still an overhang of women being expected to do more in terms of taking care of family? 100%. Is it? Um, I mean, the alternative is that men don't still don't feel comfortable professionally coming and talking about... I mean, I, I don't know. It's right. an open question. Actually, that's... A, that's I, I like that, yeah. I, is that the case? I... Let me think about that. I, I think... In my mind, men weren't coming and having that conversation because 
they weren't holding themselves back from taking on the promotion or the or the new job because even though most men are wanting to take parental leave and wanting to be very involved, that that's not necessarily the thought process of I, I want to have a child in the next year, so therefore I'm not going to take on this this role. Mm. It would be um, I do think that historically anyway that's been the woman has interpreted that it would make it harder on because she might be taking longer off or, or what pregnancy might might impact uh, in any way. So, so that's a good thought. If there are men who are thinking that, take the job, take the promotion, but certainly if there are women who are thinking that, <laughs> definitely take the job, <laughs> take the promotion. <laughs> I think there's no doubt. I guess what I was getting at there, there's, mm. there's no doubt, obviously, you know, the, 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 the greater burden of responsibility still falls on women mm. and, and it's no surprise and it's not fair necessarily. Mm. It's not. It's no surprise that you're getting more women coming to you than, than men. But I was, as you were talking there, I was mm. thinking, well, from my point of view, mm. um, you know, I've, my, my wife works full time. She's got a career and I've got a career. Um, it is only very recently in my, and I've got children who are, my oldest is 12, so I've been a parent for 12 years. It's only very, very recently that I've been able to talk to who I'm working with and mm. my employers and say, I've got childcare issues or I've got, I've got challenges with my, mm. that I need, so I need to stop doing that now and I need, mm. to, I need to focus on that. Mm. In previous years, I wouldn't have been felt comfortable mm. Mm. with that. Um, it's a really good because point. of what it yeah, looks like, mm. which is ridiculous. You know, mm. which is ridiculous, mm. but it's uh, like you say, it's historical. Mm. Mm. Um, and I think um, it, the, the more men who feel comfortable mm. as well is, is important, mm. as, as well as making sure that things are fair and equal for mm. for women who have to who 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 are. Um, having to take maternity leave and everything else. Mm. Uh, so. Well, I think that parental leave now is is so critical and, and um, we're moving, well, we're certainly at a place where our, our parents can take the same amount of time um, regardless of, mm. of, um, of, of, of gender, of course. And uh, it's, it's wonderful to, to see how, how families, are navigating that and different folks taking different time off at different times and and people making sure that in the first period of, of a, a child's life um, that they've really got this lovely sort of secure support around them. And again, to be honest, coming from um, the US where uh, parental leave is by no means uh, a given. Uh, we had in the organisation I was in, it was, it was very generous, especially by consideration with other organisations across mm. the across the country. But you'd routinely hear of people having to go back to work two weeks after having a baby because they had no protection. So, yeah. so I think that um, I'm so pleased that we are in a position where the conversations we're having is how can we make this fairer and broader and more representative rather than being in a position where we we're still fighting for even those couple of weeks yes, right so indeed. um so great conversations to have and I'm I'm super super excited to 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 be part of an organization that that recognizes this and and is constantly listening to our people and saying well what is it that we need what kind of um what kind of 
policies do we need to put in place to make mm. sure that it's it's really fair and uh, and and it means that people want to come back and work with us. There's a couple of other topics I want to sort of unpack a bit um, based on on what you we've just been talking about. Um, I think I mean you talked about workloads there as as a as a primary concern, um, and you talked about. Um, essentially either burnout or exit from the industry as a, as a concern. I, I mean, I've worked in media agencies long enough. I, I, know, I know the work, the, the stress that comes, the stress load and the workload um, that comes with working in media agencies. Um, and, you know, you see a lot of mid-level burnout. You see ageism in the industry, which pushes mm-hmm. people out as well, without wanting to sort of boil the ocean on all of the <laughs> diversity and inclusivity <laughs> topics. But you, there is ageism, I think, that exists. Mm-hmm. Um, but... I also think that media particularly has become less and less attractive over the years to graduates coming in. Mm-hmm. And the, the starting salaries are quite low. Mm-hmm. Um, the grind is really high. You know, automation can fix that to a certain extent, but you, it's not an exciting, it's not always, people don't always find it exciting to come in. Mm. So we're not always, I don't think we're not, we're, we're always attracting the enough graduates or best quality graduates mm. in. What, what do you think about, I mean, how do we attract better quality graduates into the into the industry i'll tell you the or quality more. of graduates where yeah thank you i, I, mean, I think I, that's I, better I'm yeah i'm not i'm not suggesting that the current crop of graduates yeah. are poor by any yeah, means no, I, mean, I wouldn't no. even be able to, to say that either way um but it, it, it's more about making this industry yeah. attractive to the best to the best people exactly best people. exactly i think there's a few things there and um I'm always interested to hear about how people got into the media industry, particularly people that started at the beginning of their career. Uh, I came into it quite quite late, so I, I didn't do um, those first roles. People don't know about the industry. Yeah. They, they really don't. I, I, I grew up um, wanting to be a few things, a librarian, a radio host, uh, and to work in advertising because advertising was glamorous. I I knew a woman that worked in advertising and she drove a convertible and and that was enough for me. And I thought it was, um, it it looked really glamorous. I didn't know the media side about it. I wouldn't have even given that any thought. And I don't think, I speak to a lot of graduates um, and in in this country and in in other countries as well. They're like, oh, it wasn't until I was, you know, halfway through this degree or I I heard about it here. It's not something that kids grow up thinking, oh, I want to get into media. Uh, And they should because it's incredibly exciting. It really is. What other industry can you work in where effectively you're on the you're on the cutting edge of of how people are going to be communicating and connecting and experiencing in the next years. We we see and learn about platforms really really early, uh, and and we we understand and we can see how they all work together through the work we do. So I think we've got an incredibly exciting industry um, to to offer young folks and old folks and all folks in between. Um, <laughs> but I, when it comes to attracting them in, we've, we've, we do this thing where we say, and I think this is right, we want curious, creative, bold thinkers who want to make a difference. And then we say, all right, here's your Excel spreadsheet, yeah. sit in front of that for seven hours and, um, you know, and, and 
guess what though? We do happy hour drinks. We're yeah. going down to the pub. And it's been, yeah, 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 exactly. So it is, it is, I think the automation side of it is really critical. And yeah. that will take away um, that will take away a lot a lot of that grind. But I think more and more it's understanding what part of the grind is necessary to build your foundations. You spoke about foundations earlier and, and it's it's one of my favorite phrases around your career I think we also owe it to the people that we're working with to help them to see that careers are long careers are long you will do a lot of interesting things you will do some not so interesting things but careers are long and they go in often meandering um, patterns but I do think it's absolutely critical to build your career on solid foundations and some and, and so I, I counsel people all the time to to make sure that as they jump a, a ahead and, and there's a lot of that happening at the moment mm-hmm. where, where people are being promoted really quickly. That's fantastic. If you are ready to be promoted quickly, that's wonderful. If, yeah. if you are. But make sure you have someone on your side who is saying, How deep are those foundations? And I say that as someone who doesn't have very deep foundations in the industry that I'm in. Like I I often feel the lack of history of of mine in this industry. I often feel that I, I, I didn't have those foundations. Now, I think I'm doing a pretty good job, but I, I do feel that that sense of I would like to have that sitting underneath me. And so I, while I recognise that there is grind um, and, th- and there is grind in all jobs, um, I, I think that it's important for us to say that this is necessary to help you build that foundation. And off that foundation, you will be able to build a, a, a tall and flourishing house. Yeah, I, I think, um, well, for a start, the industry is actually much more exciting. I mean, I, I, I fell into the industry backwards. I didn't do, I did an English lit degree. I had no, um, for the purposes of the tape, and, and Athea is saying me too. So, uh, you know. Women in the 18th we, century women literature. Women in the 18th century. Anything you'd yeah, like yeah, to yeah, know. Yeah, me too, actually, yeah. Um, so um, I answered an ad in the newspaper, mm. right? Um, mm. I had no idea, really. Mm. Um but I guess the point I'm making is that the, the the industry we entered 20 years ago is nothing remotely like what's there now. The complexity, mm-hmm. the opportunity, just from a we talked about data, we talked about channels, mm-hmm. we talked you know the the, 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 the gamut of, of areas that a, an agency needs to be involved in now mm. is so much more, mm. so much richer. Really is, yeah. Um, but that makes for a really really exciting industry. Mm. Um, Automation is something that has been talked about a long time, um, and it's 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 a it's been a tough nut to crack, I think, for this industry. And you know, people have been talking about automation for a long time, and I think it has been happening, but maybe slower than than people would like. But I think the I often think this about media agencies more so than many other industries. You guys, media agencies, really have to deal with the now, the next, and the later mm. all at the same time. There is still need for tradition, what I would term as traditional media agency function. Um, and people do need to build a foundation in that still, and that does require some grunt work. Um, but you've also got to be focused on, on evolution in such a, a dynamic industry um, and building your own business to, to, 
to deal with the complexities of, of that. Mm. Um, and that, you know, that is all wrapped up in do we have the right people? That is all wrapped up in the quality of the people coming in, mm. right? That is all wrapped up in forward planning. Um, and it's all wrapped up, as you say, in people's careers. There is no, I think, I think we've been all guilty as an industry in the past of building very linear career mm. paths that leave people in a certain position when they get more senior that they haven't actually been qualified to do because they haven't had the foundations. Mm. It's just you're expected to become an account director and you're expected to become a general manager and you're expected to do this and that. Whereas now there are so many different paths. And um, I it's think exciting. it is. I'm sort of answering <laughs> my own question, but, but being able to, you know, I'm agreeing in the sense that being able to communicate that to mm. a new graduate coming in or, or a person who has been in a couple of years and is really sick of looking at Excel spreadsheets mm. is massively important to 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 help this to, to to build that i hate the term next generation but, but it is what it is the next yeah. generation yeah. of um of and, people coming through and i think that as we uh one of the ways you do that and everybody's saying this i'm i'm always so loath to to say some of these things because everybody's saying exactly the same thing and here i go again as we come out of being stuck inside our homes and we've got more flexibility to come back into the office and there's that ongoing debate about is it better to be in the office, is it better to, to be working from home? And I hear out there people saying, oh, it's just the bosses that want people back in the offices because they want to watch them and make sure they're doing everything that they need to be. We know we don't need to do that anymore because we've, we've seen that work gets done, absolutely, and we had incredible work done from when there weren't people watching over. But I will maintain that there is so much that happens inside a shared space and in our instance that's the office inside a shared space that helps people develop and learn and grow whether it's the osmosis of being able to see you talk about uh, helping young folks to see where <coughs> their career could go simply by being in the office and seeing a, a really broad array of, of uh, people in different roles um, at different ages at different levels of seniority that that helps you to see a, a bit of a roadmap. We, we have these things called office hours where folks can come and just ask members of the SLT uh, different questions. And, and honestly, the, the, the most popular ones have been our finance lead uh, because people want to know how this yeah. business works. And it wasn't, I was joking with him on Friday, I was saying it wasn't people just wanting to know about how to fill in their expense forms, was it? He said, no, it's, it's people want to know how things work. Um, yeah. and, and so they see that. But there's also the other learning from each other. And, and I think that just being able to lean over to someone and say, hey, I think, I think, I think I'm doing this wrong. Can you help me without making it a big deal, without mm. involving? You know, scheduling yeah, exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and again, everyone's saying this, but I, I, I'm seeing and feeling such energy when folks are in, in the office. It, it almost feels a little bit like the days before a big event in that there's, there's kind of this sense of um, excitement. And, and once people come back into the office, they tend to come more and more. Mm -hmm. Now, I see the, the downsides as much as anyone. And for me, it's the commute, that, that, that extra sort of hour and a half, two hours, um, that has to come from something. And you don't want it to come from exercise because you've been used to that. You don't want it to come from spending time doing the things that you're interested in doing. But I do think that there is um, 100% a... A, an energy and a learning 
opportunity in a really fun way when you are back in the office. Mm. And uh, and I'm pleased and, and I'm really pleased to see how many young people are embracing that and, and saying it's great fun. feels really good to be back doing this. I think for the younger people particularly. I mean, without wanting to sound... I know, we do, don't we? <laughs> it sounds condescending, but, but it's, you know, I, I think a lot of people forget, you know, certainly when I was in my mid-20s, or, you know, I, I, I lived in a flat share. Mm. I didn't have my own house with my own office and my own, you know, yeah. the, the conditions weren't right, technology notwithstanding, the conditions weren't right for me to work from home mm. in, that, in that regard. And um, so I think, I think that's really important mm. if nothing else. It's, mm. it's a, but the learning thing, yeah, there is no, there is no substitute mm. for having people sitting next to you and being able to sort of... Um, osmosis, as you say, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's actually quite a powerful thing, mm-hmm. and, and um, for sure, um, it's good that you say that people are sort of enjoying coming back, and even if it's even if it's a sort of a novelty value to some extent after so long away, mm. it's good that there's energy yeah. coming back into your office. Yeah, certainly loving it. There was one other um, area that I wanted to unpack in, in your in your previous commentary on the on the workload side. I mean, I, I think. Um, It's a two-way street, right? The, the, the workloads are high, um, but a lot of that can be driven by client demands and it can be driven by commercial agreements in mm-hmm. the sense that you have, you've literally not been paid enough to put the, to, you know, the, the resource on the business that you need. Um, what part can, without without wanting to sound, I mean, we're not pointing fingers here, but and, and, and it's not just about money, but what part can your clients play what can you do as a partnership to make sure that there's a more mutually equitable way Mm. of working that's going to get the best out of Mm. your team for them Mm. at the end of the day yeah yeah and there's a few things and and it's really important I was having this conversation with someone uh, really recently I've been I, I I know of instances where people have said um, that's a, and I'm not talking about UM clients here. Uh, I'm talking broadly across my career, where people have said that's a really tough client to work on. But I love the agency that I'm working on, and I know that I'll work really hard and I'll get through it, and and it will do great things for my um, for my CV. Um, I don't know of any instances where people have been like, I love working on the client, but I don't like working inside the agency. Mm. Um, but I do know that where it works the best is where someone's like, I really enjoy working on that client and I love working in this agency. And, and that 100% does come down to partnership between the agency and the client. And there are so many things that we can do together and that we, we try to do. And I'm really proud of, of, of some of my clients who lean in really hard to this. We have one client who is an incredibly charismatic leader and we ask her to come in and speak to the team about her brand and the vision she and her team have for the brand, which is incredibly clear and and, um, very motivating, because the more they understand that, the more they realise that the part they're doing over here contributes directly to that. So I think having ensuring that everybody knows not just what we as an agency stand for, but what the clients they're working on stand for uh, is, is critical. I think ensuring that we have conversations with clients around what is it that you really are asking for here. I'm sure anyone who's worked in agencies is familiar with the 
you know, hearing a phone call and someone saying, yeah, oh, yeah, sure, uh, okay, all right, I'll get straight on to it and hang up the phone and they're like, oh, they want something, it's got to be delivered by tomorrow morning. What we're not necessarily doing is saying, I hear what you're asking for, but why are you asking for it? What What do you need to do with it? Who are the other stakeholders that need to engage with that, whatever it might be? And then being able to say, okay, now that I understand more fully what it is you're asking for, this is what I can get you by tomorrow morning. I, okay, I can send you an email with some bullet points that outline this, that and the other. If you want something more detailed, this is what the timeline looks like. Uh, because I think that, again, we're not in the service industry. We're in the investment industry. We're not here just to do everything we're told to do. We're here to help our clients get the, the returns that they need. And in order to do that, we need to dive in a little bit deeper and we need to really challenge, is this actually going to be useful for this, for the outcome you're looking for? Or is it something that you you want us to do because just in case. So we need to have those conversations with clients. We need to we need to find out, you know, we do this report for you every week. Who reads that report? How much do you get out of that report? Are they sitting in a in a I was going to say in a drawer, but no one has drawers anymore. Are they sitting <laughs> in an inbox somewhere? Let's really interrogate that side of things. And then the other thing I've been talking to clients about recently is um what I want every person in the agency to feel like they work on the very best account, to feel like that they have something special that no one else in the agency has. So I'm talking to my clients and saying, well, what do you do for your people that make them feel like that? And how do we extend that across our agency? How do we get them out into, we're talking with one client about, let's do a day trip to the call centre and, and and have conversations with people who talk to clients. If you, if, if you are um, supporting your your teams to trial competitors or to to engage with you know mystery shopping for example how do we extend that across the agency so people really understand and have that vested interest in in what they do and how it contributes to that bigger picture mm. it's a wonderful it's certainly a challenge but it's a wonderful challenge to have when when you have clients who want to work on that with you and to recognize that they are in it almost as equal we are it's critical that the agency uh, attracts the right talent it's just as critical that the client attracts that talent as well yeah I, th- I mean you're talking to three big bucket areas there that are so important you're talking to motivation you know and and the people factor there is a real sweet spot i know from my own experience there's a real sweet spot that you can get from just having a team of people that's motivated um i think the second bucket is visibility you know having having two-way visibility um, which feeds motivation and then professional assertiveness and the license and giving people the license to have and I think that last one that professional assertiveness piece where you are actually questioning um, we're not in the service business Um, I think agencies in the past have fundamentally not taught that or not given people license within their own business to 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 be that to be the expert Mm. Um, and I think that is a really, really important skill mm. that that really needs. To, I still think it needs to be focused mm. on in, in it just in the industry in general. Mm. Um, I remember getting told very early on in my career by by a client, a forward thinking client, you know, and I was yes, no, the grass is blue, the sky is green. <laughs> what, what black is white, white is black. What would you like? 
And I remember being told, and I must have been, what, 24 or something, this person saying, look, you are the expert. Don't forget, I'm looking to you for advice. So you need yeah. to you need to be more assertive than me, and I never forget that. Mm. Um, that moment re- was a real teaching moment mm. for me, um, and I think the more an agency culture fosters that and trains that for that, mm. um, I don't know what you think, but I think and it's empowers really that. Empowers I think it. your your right. word. Um, I think you You're giving people license. Yes, right? because what won't work is if somebody has that conversation with a client and says, "This is what I can get you by tomorrow," and this da da da, and then they ring me yes, or the and complain, and, complain and I say, well, that person's yeah, terrible. Of course. You know, you, 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 ha- you have to empower and you have to support. And, you, and in order to do that, you're right, these things can't happen um, uh, without training, without conversation, without reassurance, w- without that confidence. That, and it's not to suggest that we want people just blanket saying no. no of it's, it's, it is yeah. just about understanding what is it that we're really looking for here and how can we meet that need rather than what I call, um, and my team will laugh at this, uh, the busy work. We, we often want to show proof of industry. Look how hard we work. Look at these 78 slides yeah. here. Great. And and we feel that that is reflective of, of, um, of importance. We need to do the work, absolutely. But if it's not contributing to the actual outcome we want, not just the proof of industry, then we don't need to show that and we don't need to put it in decks and we don't need to belabour the point as much as no, we do. I agree. I mean, we're talking so much to legacy issues here and I think I think uh, the more progressive leaders like you that we have in the, in the industry, the better because I think clients need a lot of education on that side as well. And, you know, a lot of it is, and I see this when I run pitches and mm-hmm. when I do advisory work with mm-hmm. clients the legacy that exists in scopes of work mm-hmm. or scopes of services where, whereby it's all sort of, yes, the agency has to produce this mm. once a week. And when you dig into it, like... What's that? What like are you massive, using it for? Yeah. Well, you know, like you say, today it's not sitting in a drawer, it's sitting in a cloud somewhere, mm. but it's just gathering dust. Mm. Um, and that, you know, that takes a while, but I think it starts culturally. It starts with mm. giving people licence. Yeah, is, and is, conversation, the conversation on both sides. Now let's. Um, God, this has been a wow. We've almost we've almost got an hour. I can't believe it. <laughs> you, we're way talkative today. Um, just, just quickly, I, I, the last topic I really wanted to to, to get your thoughts and and, and, and views on is uh, media's place in in marketing. You know, certainly, and we were just off. I mean, before the conversation, before this, this conversation started, we were just talking offline a bit about mm. this. Um, you know, certainly from the consultancy perspective, we've seen a large amount of movement or, or a desire for change, at least, from marketing clients coming under increased organisational pressure to deliver and become accountable, not just creatively, but commercially. And you know, media, obviously, is one part of advertising, which is one part of marketing. But paradoxically, it's the largest line item on pretty much any marketing budget. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's not it's not um, it's not insignificant um, by any means. So there's an implication there that as a media agency, you do need to take a broader organisational view and certainly a broader marketing view um, and work with your clients. What do you think an agency's, a media agency's place is now in marketing and, and what would you like it to become in terms of the way in which you interact with your clients? Mm. I think we've been um, almost touching on this as we've had the conversation we have over yeah, the yeah, last yeah. little while in that um, media is media's <clears throat> a connection 
point. Media is anything that connects a brand with a consumer and a consumer with a brand. And as we said earlier, that means it's also vast. It's vast and and it's evolving and changing. So I think that media, in, in my view, has never been a more critical part of the marketing conversation as a whole and, and will continue to be. And what I what I think that that requires is that we are having conversations throughout the the, the spectrum with with partners, and and I kind of liken it to coming together and going apart. We we need as many of the coming together sessions, uh, and media needs to be at those <coughs> right from the start, so that we're we're moving through the process in a way that's um, that's complementary to each other, and. And by that I mean you can't think about one element of advertising without thinking about media and how things will be amplified and where things will be amplified and what's the right place to reach people, not just how what are you reaching them with. Um, we, we do a lot of work with, with clients where uh, we're really privileged uh, in that we, we, with our Fed government client that we reach all the people with something like census, and then we might have something that reaches a really, really narrow group of people, but because it's particularly critical that, that they get this information. So you that that where you're showing up and how you're showing up is absolutely critical. I think clients know that and, and mm. accept that. Um, and I would just ask that, that the media conversations happen frequently and early that's what we all want, isn't it? Frequency yeah. and early, so that we're, we're working on it together. <laughs> and I think that the big challenge, and we've touched on this as well, as media, as we recognise more and more the the power of media to influence conversations and to and to inform people and to excite people and to educate people and to motivate people, we need to be reflective of the communities that we're trying to educate, excite, yes. inform, motivate, all of those things. Brings so it brings us back to that, that the, the more we can be reflective and be genuinely diverse, not just on paper diverse, um, and the more we can listen to conversations and, and say and, and allow people to stick up their hand and say, that doesn't feel right. In a real-world situation, that wouldn't be right we wouldn't show up in this place or we wouldn't show up with that message, then then I if we can do that, then we're in a great place and, and, and we've got, you know, a hugely, hugely positive future ahead of us. Well that is a good place. Your passion is unmistakable. <laughs> which is I would expect nothing less from you. But um I think that's a great a great place um to end. There is one final question which you have been warned, I you know, is a mystery question. And I think my mystery question is going to be uh, earlier in the conversation, you talked about some interesting motivational factors for you when you were getting into this business. So my question is, do you drive a convertible? <laughs> I did for a little while. I did. I don't anymore. I drive a purely electric car, which is very exciting. Um, and so I, uh, my, my motivation in that, um, in that instance has changed. But the the excitement of the industry, even though it was adjacent to, to where I thought I would uh, hopefully end up, has not waned at all. 
Well, I think when Tesla brings out a convertible, or, or maybe <laughs> maybe your career will be complete once once you've got both the electric and the convertible. Just going to be really clear, not a Tesla. It's a oh, Hyundai. Hey, I, 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 take it, yeah, I, just, I, went, I went to Mr. Musk there. I don't know why. Maybe it's his profile. Yes, maybe it is. Yes. Um, but thank you, thank you so much, Anthony. It's been it's been great talking. Really, really rich conversation. And um, I wish you all the best, and the Ainty all the best with um, everything that you're trying to do. Thanks. I've loved it. Thank you.